Sophie's World by Josephine Gardner. The Renaissance continued. O、oh, divine lineage in mortal guise, Hermes was already on his way up the stairs. Sophie took the postcard with her and followed. She had to run to keep up with him. He was wagging his tail delightedly. They passed the second, third, and fourth stories. From then on, there was only an attic staircase. Were they growing up to the roof? Hermes clambered up the stairs and stopped outside a narrow door, which he scratched at with his paw. Sophie heard footsteps approaching from inside. The door opened, and there stood Alberto Knox. He had changed his clothes and was now wearing another costume. It consisted of white hose, red knee breeches, breeches, and a yellow coat with padded shoulders. He reminded Sophie of a joker in a deck of cards. If she was not to be much mistaken, this was a typical Renaissance costume. What a clown! Sophie exclaimed, giving him a little push so that she could go inside the apartment. Once again, she had taken out her fear and shyness on the unfortunate philosophy teacher. Sophie's thoughts were in a turmoil because of the postcard she had found down in the hallway. "Be calm, my child," said Alberto, closing the door behind her. "And here's the mail," she said, handing him the postcard as if he held him responsible for it. Alberto read it and shook his head. He gets more and more to cush us. I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't using us as a kind of birthday diversion for his daughter. With that, he tore the postcard into small pieces and threw them into the wastebasket. It said that Hilda has lost her crucifix," said Sophie. "So I read, and I found it—the same one under my pillow at home. Can you understand how it got there?" Alberto looked gravely into her eyes. It may seem alluring, but let's just—but it's just a cheap trick that costs him no effort whatsoever. Let us rather concentrate on the big white rabbit that is being pulled out of the universe's top hat. They went into the living room. It was one of the most extraordinary rooms Sophie had ever seen. Alberto lived in a spacious attic apartment with sloping walls. A sharp light directly from the sky flooded the room from a skylight set into the one of the walls. There was an, also another window facing the town. Through this window, Sophie could look over all the roofs in the old town. But what amazed Sophie most of all was the stuff that filled the room: furniture and objects from various historical periods. There was a sofa from the thirties. An old desk from the beginning of the century, and a chair that had to be hundreds of years old. But it wasn't just furniture. Old objects, either useful or decorative, were jumbled together on the self-sell shelves and cupboards. There were old clocks and vases, mortars and retorts, knives and dolls, quill pens and bookends, octants and sextants. Compasses and barometers. One entire wall was covered with books, but not the sort of books found in most bookstores. The book collection itself was a cross section of the of hanging drawings and paintings from recent decades, but most of them 
also very old. There were a lot of old charts and maps on the walls too, and as far as Norway was concerned, they were not very accurate. Sophie stood for several minutes without speaking and took everything in. What a lot of junk you've collected," she said. "Now then, just think how many centuries of history I have preserved in this room. I wouldn't exactly call it junk. Do you manage an antique shop or something?" Arboto looked almost pained. "We can't all let ourselves be washed away by the tide of history, Sophie. Some of us must tarry in order to gather up what has been left along the river banks." What an odd thing to say! Yes, but nonetheless, true child, we do not live in our own time alone. We carry our history within us. Don't forget that everything you see in this room was once brand new. That old sixteenth-century wooden doll might have been made for a five-year-old girl's birthday, by her grandfather maybe. Then she became a teenager, then an adult, and then she married. Maybe she had a daughter of her own and gave the doll to her. She grew old, and one day she died. Although she lived for a very long time, one day she was dead and gone, and she will never return. Actually, she was only here for a short visit. But her doll, well, there it is on the shelf. Everything sounds so sad and solemn when you talk like that. Life is both sad and solemn. We are let into a wonderful world, we where we meet one another here, greet each other, and wander together for a brief moment. Then we lose each other and disappear as suddenly and unreasonably as we arrived. May I ask you something? We're not playing hide and seek any more. Why did you move into the major's cabin? So that we would not be so far from each other, and when I, we were only talking by letter, I knew the cabin would be empty. So you just moved in. That's right. I moved in. Then maybe you can also explain how Hilda's father knew you were there. If I am right, he knows practically everything. But I still can't understand how at all you got a mailman to deliver mail in the middle of the woods. Alberto smiled archly. Even things like that are pure bagatelle for Hilda's father. Cheap hocus pocus, simple sleight of hand. We are living under what is possibly the world's closest surveillance. Sophie could feel herself getting angry. If I ever meet him, I'll scratch his eyes out. Alberto walked over and sat down on the sofa. Sophie followed and sank into a deep armchair. Only philosophy can bring us close to Hilda's father," Alberto said at last. "Today I shall tell you about the Renaissance." Shoot! Not very long after Saint Thomas Aquinas, cracks began to appear in the unifying culture of Christianity. Philosophy and science broke away once more, and from from more and more from the theology of the church. And thus enabling religious life to attain a freer relationship to reasoning, more people now emphasize that we cannot reach God through rationalism because God is in all ways unknowable. The important thing for a man was not to understand the divine mystery, but to submit to God's will. As religion and science can now more freely. 
relate to each other, the way was both open to new scientific methods and new religious fervor. Thus, the basis was created for two powerful upheavals in the 15th and 16th centuries, namely the Renaissance and the Reformation. Can we take them one at a time? By the Renaissance, we mean the rich cultural development that began in the late 14th century. It started in northern Italy and spread rapidly northward during the 5th and 16th centuries. Didn't you tell me that the word Renaissance meant rebirth? I did indeed, and that which was to be reborn and the art and culture of antiquity. We also speak of Renaissance humanism. And since now, after the long dark ages in which every aspect of life was seen through divine light, everything once again revolved round man. Go to the source was the motto, and that meant the humanism and antiquity first and foremost. It almost became a popular pastime to dig up ancient sculptures and scrolls, just as it became fashionable to learn Greek. The study of Greek humanism also proved a pedagogical aim. Reading humanism subjects proved a classical education and developed what may be something called human qualities. Horses are born, it said, but human beings are not born. They are formed. Do we have to be educated to be human beings? Yes, that was the thought. But before we take a closer look at the ideas of the Renaissance humanism, we must say a little about the political and cultural backgrounds of the Renaissance. Alberto rose from the sofa and began to wander around the room. After a while, he paused and pointed at an antique instrument on one of the shelves. What is that? he asked. It looks like an old compass. Quite right. He then pointed to an ancient firearm hanging on the wall above the sofa. And that? An old-fashioned rifle. Exactly. And this? Alberto pulled a large book off of one of the bookshelves. In, in, it's an old book. To be absolutely precise, it is an incunabulum. An incunabulum? Actually, it means cradle. The word is used about books printed in the cradle days of printing. That is, before 1500. Is it really that old? That old, yes. And these three discoveries, the compass, firearms, and the printing press, were essential preconditions for this new period we call the Renaissance. Mm-hmm.